To some it's just an emblem of formality. It's a symbol that's been used so frequently. Many blaspheme and despise, though it's ancient it abides. A shrine to death that stands for life for me. There was a cross before the sun. he chose the cross because he did. I don't have to deal with it. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 21 tonight. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to read through verse 35 tonight. Mark chapter 1. Verses 21 through 35. And they went into Capernaum straightway on the Sabbath day. He entered into the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. 
There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. All the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. In our passage tonight, we notice a number of things, and it's amazing to consider how busy and how active the Lord Jesus Christ was. I mean, Jesus here in verse 21 is teaching in the synagogue, and I don't know about you, but any time I've had to teach or preach, I've had to prepare. And some might say, well, Jesus Christ was God. He is the Word. Therefore, He never had to prepare anything. He just always had a three-point outline ready at any moment. And I don't know. Maybe He did. Maybe He didn't. I'm not sure that we can honestly say either way. But what I do know is that it takes me preparation, and it probably takes you a little preparation. And He was in flesh, and He was dealing with things as a human being. He wasn't just in, in a, you know utilizing his divinity at all times to say, well, listen, this makes it easy and this makes it a lot different than when you do it. No, he understood our infirmities, the Bible says. He understood what we were going through and what we've been through and how we've been, uh, what we have to deal with. And so I think that the Lord Jesus probably had some preparation before he spoke. He probably took some time to gather his thoughts. He probably maybe even put some things down on parchment. I don't know. But what I do know is he was teaching in a synagogue and that probably took a little preparation and time. Then we see him in verse 23 through 25 on the heels of teaching in the synagogue. We see him casting out some demons there. Right there he is and boom, right in the midst of everything, he's in the process of casting out demons. And from there his fame spread abroad, the Bible tells us over in verse 28. I mean, people started hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and they recognized the fact that there was something unique and very special about this particular man. His fame spread abroad. I mean, here he was teaching in the synagogue with great authority, unlike any other. And here he was casting out demons. And now his fame spreads throughout the region. And all of a sudden now, because he's becoming popular and because people are hearing about him, next thing we know, we see a number of people gathering to be healed and delivered. The Bible even tells us here in verse 32, and at even when the sun did set. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ having a very long day here. 
teaching in a synagogue, casting out a demon, dealing with Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, here he is now being overwhelmed with the, the city and with others that are coming from areas all around because of the fame that had spread abroad. And he's casting out demons and he's healing people that are sick and lame and halt and maimed and blind. And here he is doing all this work, busy, busy, busy in the things of God. And then we arrive at verse 35, a very interesting verse. The Bible says, and in the morning. Wait, last I checked, it was just evening. And he had all these people gathered about him. He was still doing the work of God into the night. And yet the Bible says in verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. One thing that I've noticed in my life in ministry is a marked difference between our cultural's our culture's mentality toward rest and refueling from that of Christ. Our culture looks at rest and refueling or refreshing differently than what the word of God teaches. And as human beings, you and I are prone to run to anything and everything but God for our rest and refreshment. Most people's idea of effective downtime includes things like sun tanning by the pool for hours, enjoying exotic food and drinks, attending spectacular shows, or possibly indulging in a movie marathon. And I kind of like those every once in a while. John Wayne ones are good. Amen. That's right. Good Western where the bad guys all die. I like it. Someone says, I don't like that violence, preacher. Then don't watch it. Maybe things like going on a shopping spree. Those are things that we consider ways to effective downtime and, and maybe even playing golf. I mean, these are the kind of things that most of us or most people consider to be effective downtime. But, you know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he had a different perspective than that, a different solution for finding the refreshment and the refueling that he needed for the job that he was called to do. Sure, he took time away from the crowds and the demands of the, the ministry. Without a doubt, we understand that. We see that often. But he didn't lounge on the beach or turn to worldly entertainment. He didn't do all those things to find rest and to find his strength that was so desperately needed in the work of God. Instead, the Bible describes several occasions when Jesus went to a mountain. And there prayed in solitude to the Lord, seeking God's face and his presence. That's how Jesus Christ found his refreshing, refreshment and his refueling. Matter of fact, a number of times throughout the Bible we note that. Mark 6, 46 is one of those. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And Jesus carried more weight on his shoulders had more responsibility than obviously any of us in this room. There's no doubt that he worked from morning till night, at least it appears that way. Those last three, three and a half years of his life and ministry were just marked by probably 
constant busyness. And yet when he sought refreshment, when he sought refueling, he didn't simply back away from the ministry. He didn't just simply say, well, I don't have time right now to pray. I don't have time to go to God. I don't have time to do the work right now. I need a break from church, and I need a break from soul, and I need a break from the reading my Bible and praying. No, he didn't do that at all. Instead, he went to God. He went and spent time alone with God. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing some practical things in order to refuel and refresh. No, not at all. I mean, a long walk, a refreshing bike ride, a conversation with a trusted friend, you know, maybe even an old-fashioned family vacation. Nothing wrong with that. I'd encourage you to take a vacation. I'd encourage you to get away with your family and allow yourself to be solely their property for just a short time, gentlemen. It's a good thing. Still, the temptation that we face today in our culture, our society, and in Christianity is to listen to that, that quiet voice way deep down that says, you've been working so hard. I mean, you deserve some self-time about now. I mean, you can always spend time with God later. Put your spiritual life on hold for a while and focus on you. You deserve it. The truth is that taking time away to refresh and refuel should flow from a motive of becoming even stronger on behalf of Christ, more equipped to serve the Lord Jesus, not to simply escape from the responsibilities of serving and godly living. It's sad sometimes because we sometimes feel overwhelmed and we are in need of refueling and refreshing. And instead of turning to the very one, the only one that can truly provide it in the believer's life, we believe the lie of Satan or our own heart that it's time away from him that will really help us. See, the best time is actually not me time. The best time is God time. And unfortunately, it is difficult to find that in our lives at times. To spend quiet time alone with God, undisturbed time with God, meditating and memorizing His Word, prioritizing prayer in our lives, worshiping in God's house, and maybe even reading a good Christian biography that will ultimately refresh our soul and encourage us. It certainly provides us a more lasting refreshment than vegging out in front of a movie or going out to the mall. And again, there's nothing wrong with watching a movie necessarily or even going shopping. That's not necessarily harmful unless you don't have money and your wife has a credit card. <laughs> That's harmful. <laughs> Some of the ladies in here are saying, wait, you've got to see how my husband spends on that. I, okay, we, he, fair enough. But when we turn to those things for peace in our life, rest or satisfaction, when those become our means to refresh and to refuel, then as a believer, we're going to find ourselves empty. 
and unfulfilled. While on the other hand, whenever we say no to personal indulgences, when we finally say no to self and we say yes to time in the presence of God, that's when, that's when we'll never find regret. The fact is that God created you and I today. And you know, whatever we seek, whatever we truly search for, is truly found in Him. Real refreshment, fulfillment, satisfaction found outside of His Word is not really satisfaction or fulfillment at all. And ultimately, it will leave us destined to experience frustration, dissatisfaction, and discontentment. And the Bible tells us in the book of Psalm, chapter 16, verse 11, Thou would shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I notice a couple things very quickly in that verse. Thou wilt shew me the path of life. We see direction in his word and in his presence. He's the one that will show us that direction. He's the one that will set our feet on the right course, that will order our steps. Not only do we see direction, but we see delight. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. I mean, isn't that what you and I seek today? We want fullness of joy. We want something unique to take place in our life to where we find comfort, rest, and peace each and every day in the midst of the storms. And the Bible tells us that that refueling and that refreshing is found in Him and His presence because in His presence is fullness of joy, direction, delight. But ultimately, we find here destiny, our destiny. He says, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's always in the presence of Christ. That's the key for the believer's life. It's not found in the temporal things in which we indulge in or that we involve ourselves with. It's found in a walk and a relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. Therefore, time alone with God is the truest sense of refueling our souls. So what steps can we take? What steps can I take? What steps can you take to ensure that we're refreshed, that we're refueled each and every day? And I want to share three simple things. Probably nothing new, but things we need to be reminded of. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Once again, we ask for your leadership and love. Speak to us, Father, through your word. Lord, we'll thank you for that. Now, Holy Spirit of God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, enable me, Lord, to... Father, just be a vessel that can be used of you, Lord, emptied so that you may fill me. Lord, be with every listening ear. May you encourage us, Father, and may we hear things with spiritual ears today. May our hearts be truly moved, inspired, and encouraged. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So what steps can you and I take then to ensure that we're refreshed and refueled each and every day of our life? Number one. Be consistent. Be consistent. Physical atrophy often takes place when a part of our body is placed into a cast. For instance, may a fracture of an arm or a leg or some, something like that. And due to a lack of use or lack of activity, the muscles atrophy. Well, atrophy has to do with disintegrate or to, to, to become waste away. 
And so what happens is, is our arm or our leg continues to remain in one position without being exercised. The muscle deteriorates. It wastes away. It atrophies. A muscle, though, can also atrophy or, or a particular part of the body can atrophy as well when insufficient amounts of blood flow or oxygen, water, or nutrients don't get to the muscles, okay? So it can happen that way as well. Bo Jackson was one of the greatest athletes to ever play professional sports. If you're old enough to remember him, uh, he was a dynamite, dy very dynamic athlete. He was multi-talented, and after winning the Heisman Trophy at Auburn his senior year, he left Auburn to enter the NFL. But not only did he enter the NFL, but he was also drafted by the Kansas City Royals of Major League Baseball. I mean, most athletes at this particular point would have to make a choice. You're going to play football, you're going to play baseball. Which is it going to be, especially at this level? But not Bo. He chose to play both football and baseball. And the fact was is that his coaches permitted it. That's how good he was. That's how unusual of an athlete he really was. He played baseball for the Royals. He played football for the Oakland Raiders. He'd play football with the Raiders on Sunday, and then he'd fly out and play baseball during the week. Not hard to imagine, isn't it? ESPN, they did a documentary, a documentary on the injury that brought a sudden end to Bo Jackson's career. And while playing one afternoon, football that is, he was running down the sideline and he was tackled from behind. Because he was running so awfully fast and so hard, that when, when the tackler caught his legs and twisted, he literally pulled the hip out of joint. Had a dislocated hip. And Bo, of course, went face down on the ground, and he laid there for a moment and was in excruciating pain. And as the trainers and the fellow players rushed to him, he rolled over onto his back. Later, it was discovered that when he did, his hip went back into socket. Teammates helped Bo to his feet, and he limped off the, to the sideline and in pain, of course. The pain wasn't, I mean, that bad overall, and... You know, following the game, he assumed that he had bruised his hip or possibly had a hip pointer. No MRI was done, and he actually felt pretty good overall. But for weeks on end, he remained on the sideline, not playing football or baseball, because he just couldn't seem to get any strength back in his hip. For over a year, he tried to rehabilitate his hip to no avail. It was finally discovered through an MRI that he eventually had that, Bo, that when Bo rolled over onto his back and his hip went back into place, some blood vessels were pinched. And as a result, no blood was able to get to his hip socket. Over time, all the life in that socket died. It atrophied. And the career of an amazing athlete was over for good. You know, you and I may not think that missing a day of Bible reading is going to hurt us. After, I mean, what's the big deal about missing maybe a church service every once in a while? I mean, is it really a imperative that I'm 
in the Word every day, that I'm in prayer every day, that I'm consistent and constant in this aspect of disciplining myself in the things of Christ. Well, you know, when we fail to meet with God on a regular basis, when we fail to refresh and refuel on a consistent basis, we are denying ourselves the life flow that's necessary for good spiritual health. It's no different than that hip joint. And every time we fail to take in the Word of God and drink in the Spirit of God and allow God to work in our life through the Word of God and through prayer and through refueling, we are literally atrophying our spiritual life. We're disintegrating our spiritual life. We are weakening our spiritual life and ultimately, potentially, causing us to get out of the game. See, the truth is, if you and I aren't growing, we're slowing. Spiritual atrophy, deterioration, weakness will cause us to drop the shield of faith. And once we drop that shield of faith, we are a prime target for the fiery darts of Satan. We have to keep the nutrients of God's Word flowing into our life consistently. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, as, a new, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. How do we do that then? Well, First of all, we need to schedule a time. We have to schedule a time. In Psalm 55, 17, the psalmist says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. The psalmist says, listen, it's not enough for me in my position, in my place in life, in my spiritual uh, order. I've, I've got to meet with God. I've got to schedule time three times a day minimum evening and morning and at noon. We're fortunate enough or, or feel like we've done a good enough job if we just have one time a day that we meet with God. The psalmist says, I need at least three. But it's scheduled time. If I came to you today and I simply said, hey, uh, what time do you meet consistently with God every day? What time would you tell me? Would you say, well, I meet at 6 a.m., or I meet at 4 a.m., or I meet at 8 a.m., or I meet at 12 o'clock, or whatever it is? I mean, what time do you meet with God consistently and regularly every day? What I've found is if it's not scheduled, it don't get done. And that's true in our lives and every aspect of our life. Do you, you want to know why years ago when I, I bought my first car... Um, I was in the military, and I'd come home on leave, and um, at that time, and boy, some of you singles don't listen too loud, okay? But uh, I had bought my first car, and I, and I was in the midst of transitioning from Germany, going to Oklahoma, and I, I had another year left there, and uh, in the military, at least active duty. And when I came home, I, I thought, man, there's no way I want to go to Oklahoma without a car, and, and I'd been looking at cars, and I'd been thinking about cars, and I had a price in my mind, and so ultimately I was able to buy a car, and I wasn't able to pay all of it in cash, so I did have a little book they gave me, this little receipt book, and then inside it, it had all these payment slips. Those payment slips, do you know what those were? They were a schedule of payment. On them, they had a date when it was due, 
And each one of them was supposed to come out and be sent in. Because they wanted to make sure I would be on schedule. Because you want to know what they understood and what they knew as a company and as a business? If it wasn't scheduled, it wouldn't get done. They knew that. And let me tell you something. If we don't schedule this refreshing time, this refueling time, each and every day of our life, it won't get done more than likely. You need to schedule a time specific. Stick with it. Number two, schedule, secure a place. Secure a place. The Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 91.1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's a place called, that's, it's called the secret place. The secret place. Do you know what that means really? If it, just as simple as we can make it, it means it's a place that me and God know about. It's a secret place. It's where God and I meet. Boy, I'll tell you what, we all need that place. You know, we talk about, the, the, you know, in the Word of God, He talks about a prayer closet. It's an interesting thing about a closet. There's no windows. Now, someone says, well, we don't have a door on our closet, so it's wide open. I know, but the closet he's talking about, in, in my, from what I can understand, it's a place where there's no, no outside distraction. And, and, and so if you go into an old-fashioned closet, you know what you find? There's a door, and there's nothing inside except a bunch of old clothes and smelly shoes. And, you know, there's nothing there to distract you. There's no phone in there. God help us to leave our phones somewhere else when we meet with God. Please don't take your phone with you when you meet with God. You say, but my Bible's on my phone. Get rid of that and start using a Bible that doesn't have an alarm on it. I mean, do yourself a favor. It's supposed to be a place where there are no distractions. You know, it's difficult for moms, of course. You know, they need to find a closet. I preached this message up at Brother Hamilton's church. And after it was over with, a lady came to me and said, she said, Pastor, preacher, I just want you to know I was encouraged by that message. And man, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to, I, I like that idea about a closet. Those kids can always find me. I'm going to lock myself in the closet and I'm going to meet with God from now on. You know what she's trying to avoid? Distraction. That would help if she got it probably earlier than her kids. And bathrooms aren't a good place to meet with God either. If you're a woman, their kids are always banging on the door. As soon as you walk in, hey, mom. Don't you know I'm trying to get things taken care of in here? They don't care. Secure a place. A time and a place. So, what steps can we take to ensure that we're refreshed and refueled each and every day? Be consistent. Number two, be creative. Be creative. Say creative? Well, you know, if we're honest... We could all probably say that the Bible has seemed somewhat dry and lifeless at times in our lives. You say, oh, it's never been dry to me. Praise the Lord. Good for you. It has been for me. I've read the Bible before and went, wow, I ain't getting nothing out of that. You ever been there? I'm sorry, but I've been there, okay? And, and I'm, I mean, honestly, I think if we was honest, we could probably all say to some degree, there's been a time when the Bible seemed dry and lifeless to us. Well, I'm not saying that because it's an indictment on the Word of God. That's really an indictment on our own hearts. But on us who are, I mean, the Word of God is always alive, without a doubt. It's always exciting for the believer who's equally animated spiritually, without a doubt. We understand that. But one of the reasons that the Bible becomes so lackluster is that we get in such a rut. 
We do things the exact same way day in, day out, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. We have a little prayer list and we look at that little prayer list and we just go right through it. John and pray for Judy and Jim and John and Rick and John and Mary and Mary. And God's going, what, vain repetition? Is that what you're talking about right now? I'm not, I'm not against lists. I think lists are important. I think we need them. But change it up a little bit. Be a little creative from time to time. We read the same time. I read three chapters a day. That's how I read. We're almost robotic. We're robotic. We do things the exact same way. And it becomes rote. And it becomes mechanical. God doesn't mind if you're a little creative. Let me give you some ideas. Include a pastor-approved devotional. Yeah, you heard me right. A pastor-approved. You did hear me right. You did. You got to be careful because who you read after is who you become. You better be careful who you're reading after. Now, there are a number of good devotionals out there in that bookstore. You don't even need approval because they've been approved. If they're out there, Mrs. Cavanaugh's made sure they're solid, they're good, and has gotten approval on them. Let me tell you, there's a lot of good ones out there. I think I'd run out to that bookstore and say, hey, is there a good devotional for morning devotions that I could read? I'd like to get a hold of that. I'll tell you what, that can really liven up and it can spruce up your quiet time with God. How about spending some time memorizing Scripture? You know, sometimes we're in such a hurry with the things of God that we don't have any time for anything else. I mean, when you got that three minutes in Bible reading and three minutes in prayer and then you're off to work. Let me tell you something. You're not going to get a whole lot of refueling and refreshing when you're spending mere minutes with God. I'm not saying that you've got to jump in right off the bat doing a million things. But listen, I'm the first one to tell some of these teenagers who, who want to be godly, who have a great heart and who have tremendous desire and... and, and, and I'm the first one to tell them, though, you don't have to read and pray for an hour. Schedule 10 minutes to read. Schedule 10 minutes to pray. Start somewhere that is practical. Start somewhere where you can really reach the goal. Because let me tell you something. If you haven't prayed very long, let me, it's hard to get on your knees for a half hour straight and pray. That's not easy to do if you haven't been working up to it. Somebody said, well, I have no problem praying. Good, I am so thrilled. But most of us struggle with spending time alone with God without being so distracted we can't even think. And boy, let me tell you, it takes time to get close to God and in His presence and then to spend time in His, His, in His presence. It takes some effort. It takes work. And it takes some practice. We've got to do it. If you think you're going to start today, I'm going to start spending an hour in prayer every day. And you've, you've been praying five minutes a day? You are bound for failure, my friend. You're going to have a hard time with that. Why don't you start with it, doubling it to 10 minutes next this week? And then as God starts to work in your life and you realize there's a lot more to pray about than I ever realized. And there's so many things that I can do. Just sit quietly and listen to God and just be in His presence. And then all of a sudden you're expanding it and you're extending it. And pretty soon you're going, man, I've got to get up earlier. And i got to get... And if I don't do this, I feel like I've not even gotten with God yet. All I'm saying is spend some time maybe memorizing then. Throw a little bit, just take a few minutes and say, you know what, I'm going to learn a scripture this week. I'm going to take just a few, a minute, two minutes a day and try to memorize this scripture on top of that time. Maybe you don't even add more time to your time. Just spend that half hour, 15 and 15 or whatever it is, and take some time and memorize a scripture. Take some of that time maybe and keep some notes and journal your thoughts. 
Maybe you come across a verse that's important or that kind of stands out in your mind. Man, make a note of that. Write the verse down. Maybe even spell it out and write it out or possibly just put the verse down and then note your thoughts and what, how God spoke to you about it and what it means to you and how it can be applied to your life. You say, but I mean, I thought quiet time with God was just reading and praying. No, it's spending time with God. It's having a time of reflection. I mean, when I spend time with my wife, we don't just sit and look at each other. We talk back and forth. And sometimes she'll say something that causes me to think. And sometimes I say something that may even cause her to think. I mean, we're trying to encourage one another. We're trying to build one another up. We're trying to make a difference in one another's lives. And that's what God wants to do. And when we meet with Him in His Word, and when we're in prayer and in that quiet time, God may just hit you with something. Man, I'm going to write that down. Let me. Oh, I'm looking at my... Oh, man, I'm running out of time. Well, guess what? You may just have to increase that time then because you're getting with God now. Maybe, maybe you can incorporate a good biography or inspiring book. Now, again, this one may be done in the evening or something before you go to bed. But it'll start to get the creative juices flowing. It'll get you thinking about what real Christianity is all about. All you have to do is read a couple of the books that the singles have read lately and you realize you're a pitiful and I'm a pitiful example of what Christianity ought to be. When you start looking at the lives of some of the great men and women of God through the years and you realize and recognize the time and, of, of the time and the effort that they put into their walk and relationship with God compared to what we do today in our generation, in our culture, in our society, it, it makes us pale in comparison. It's embarrassing. But boy, does it inspire us. And we go, man, I've got to get a better prayer life. Man, I've got to be in tune with God. Boy, I've got to do something to really get a hold of the Spirit of God in my life. It'll inspire us. Encourage you. Some of these suggestions along with other creative ideas can really spruce things up, spice it up a little bit and reinforce truths that we read about in the Word of God. Finally, number three. We're talking again about how we can ensure that we're being refreshed and refueled each and every day. We said be consistent, be creative, and finally be careful. Be careful. The devil would love to distract and distance you from the Savior. He'd love to distract and distance you from the Savior. He'll use anything and anyone he can. Satan is our enemy. He's our adversary. First, Peter 5, 8, many of you could probably quote it here tonight. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We've mentioned this before, and we just very briefly mention it again, but that word devour is very unique in that it doesn't just mean to destroy us. Devour means to literally, literally consume us. To devour us, to literally take us in and digest us. Can you imagine? He wants to consume us, to totally and completely eat us up. And his greatest desire is to wreck and ruin your life and your testimony. John 10.10, speaking, the Lord speaking, says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That thief he's referring to is none other than Satan, Antichrist. He cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
What a tremendous picture of Satan, our adversary tonight. What an appropriate picture. While Jesus says, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That is not accomplished unless we are refueling each and every day. So devil, the devil, Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your testimony. He wants to destroy your influence. Ian Bounds, the great author, once stated, But our great lack is not in head culture, but in heart culture. Not lack of knowledge, but lack of holiness is our sad and telling defect. Not that we know too much, but that we do not meditate on God and His Word and watch and fast and pray enough. Isn't that interesting? Let me just read that again. That, that is profound, my friends. Ian Bounds said, But our great lack is not in head culture. Oh, we know the answers. We can fill out the test. But he says, Our lack's not in head culture, but in heart culture. Not lack of knowledge, but lack of holiness is our sad telling defect. Not that we know too much, but, but, but that we do not meditate on God and His Word and watch and fast and pray enough. We might be able to answer the questions right out of the Word, but we don't ponder, we don't meditate, we don't think about them enough. We don't understand and recognize the need for true holiness in our life. That's what the great author said. The believer cannot be too careful in this area of refueling. We cannot allow ourselves to become heady or high-minded. We can't be guilty of believing ourselves to be anything but what we are, sinners in need of our head, Jesus Christ. John 15, 5, a familiar passage in Scripture says, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking again, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Isn't that amazing? Without me you can do nothing. So what he's saying is, is every time we go off and do our own thing, it really amounts to nothing. Even if it's, if, if it's building a ministry, if we did it without him, it is nothing. Because without Him, we can do nothing. It's amazing to think about things from that perspective, to be so, so limited or to be so intolerant to say that without Him, we can do nothing. I wonder, have you ever done anything without Him? I have. Do you do anything without Him? I do. If we're not consciously including him, then we are excluding him. If we are not consciously including him, then we are excluding him. God help us to be very aware of our need of Christ continually and constantly. And that's why the refueling is so important, so necessary. Because what it says is, I cannot do this. Anything without you, Lord. 
Ephesians 1, and 23 says, He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, while in his body, what, excuse me, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's what we need. That's who we need is Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in chapter 1, verse 1, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen to the psalmist again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what he's doing? He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Isn't that what you want today? That calming effect? that peace, that purpose, that fulfillment, that joy. That's exactly what I want. That's what you want. And that's only found through the shepherd. No other place. Be careful that you don't neglect the very one thing that affords you all of those things. On January 25th, 1990, Avianca Flight 52 from Columbia crashed just 15 miles short of New York's Kennedy's International Airport killing 73 passengers. The reason? The plane just ran out of gas. It ran out of gas. Under international regulations, an airliner has to carry enough fuel to reach its destination as well as its assigned alternate, plus enough extra to handle at least 45 minutes of delays. Due to low fuel condition, the Avianca pilots had requested priority not emergency landing. Because the exact word emergency was not used. And due to heavy traffic and bad weather conditions, the plane was placed on a holding pattern until it simply ran out of gas. That's something. May I say today that refueling in the presence of Jesus Christ is not just a priority in your life, my life. It is an emergency situation. If we don't refuel, we're going to crash and burn. God help us today to realize how important it is to continually, constantly, consistently refresh and refuel in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. We're talking about Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who said, I cannot accomplish this job, the mission I'd been given, except I meet with my heavenly Father. Refresh and refuel. So essential, so necessary, absolutely an emergency. Father, we love you. We ask, dear God, you'd speak to our hearts tonight and again.